Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and how it encourages us to stand firm against Satan. Lord, we pray that we may be encouraged again this morning as we learn more about what you do in our lives. Lord, we pray that this may help us to indeed stand firm in the faith so that we can indeed resist those who would oppose us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think we're all very much aware of the importance of doctors in our lives, people who can restore us and make us well. Even my son Joshua, he has already started to cotton on to that fact. Uh, he will say, even this week, he said, Josh, you sick. Josh, you need doctor. Uh, he knows that doctors are a vital part of our lives when we are unwell. He just doesn't have the same affection for nurses. Uh, nurses, the nurse room is very different from the doctor's room at the medical centre because the doctor, of course, he doesn't do very, anything really painful. But the nurse's room, that's where they pull out the needles. And, uh, and so he resists walking through the door of the, the nurse's room, but he's quite happy to go in and see the doctor. He just doesn't understand the uh, prophylactic effect of being able to prevent diseases uh, through pain uh, needles. He understands that when you have pain, you need medical help. And we recognise that in our own lives. We look to people around us to restore us, to help make us better whenever we are unwell, whenever we are harmed, whenever we're in pain. But the question is, when you get hurt by Satan... Is there any healing? Is there any possibility? Is there anyone that you can go to to be healed from the pain that you have experienced? Over the last few weeks, as we've been winding up our series in the letter of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, we've been looking at Satan and how he, has, he is indeed a dangerous enemy. We saw back in verse 8, he's actually described as a roaring lion. And roaring lions are ones that do inflict pain. We saw that Satan is indeed one who can hurt us, hurt us quite significantly, usually through persecution. But we saw last week that even because he is an enemy and a dangerous enemy, that does not mean we run away. We're meant to resist him. We're meant to stand firm, we saw in verse 9. Stand firm in the faith, knowing that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. But the question then is... If he does inflict pain on us, which the Bible is quite clear is that he can and he does, then what will happen once you've been hurt? Is there any way that you can be restored? And that's what we're going to look at this week. We're going to look at verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 5 and see there that there is a way of being healed from suffering that we experience. And that brings me to my first main point this morning. God will restore you. God will restore you. And we see that in verse 10. It says in verse 10, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. The Bible is quite clear. We do suffer. It's there in that, in that very verse and it's been throughout this whole letter. We do suffer. We experience pain. And where does that pain come from? Well, Peter said it's from Satan. But then we see that God does restore us after we have experienced suffering and pain from Satan. What does it mean to be restored? Well, it means uh, the Greek word can be, uh, it said the sense is to be caused to be in a condition to function well again, to be put in order, to be prepared. And And another instance of the word actually being used in the New Testament is for mending of nets. 
by in Matthew and Mark, where we see the disciples, the early disciples, what are they doing? They're mending nets. They're actually restoring their nets to the former state that they were in. And so we can also translate it as make complete. Um, in the King James, it translates uh, this particular word as not restore, but as made perfect, to be put back to a right stage that's perfect, where there is no, uh, there is no uh, infirmity, there is nothing uh, lacking. It's actually to be perfect. And we see it used also in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, where it says to supply what is lacking in your faith. Lacking, So something is provided, so uh, you're actually restored to a full faith there. Or in Luke chapter 6, the same word is used in the, uh, the verse 40 where it says, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone is fully trained, fully trained, restored, and will be like his teacher. So we see here that we are restored. There is someone who can restore us after we have experienced pain from Satan. And it's not just restore us. There's other words that are used. There's a four verbs used at the end of verse 10 to describe what can happen to us after we have been persecuted. There's restore you and then make you strong, so we get strength. There's also be made firm, so uh, that there's more strengthening happening there. It's another verb. And made steadfast. Steadfast is the idea of laying a foundation so that you won't topple and fall over. So here we see that there is restoration and strengthening and firmness that comes and a steadfastness that is given to those who have been persecuted by Satan. The question is, who gives that? Who is the doctor who restores us? Well, it's God himself. You see that in verse 10, it says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. That word himself is there in the Greek, is emphatic, that it's God himself, him personally restores you. He takes an interest in you and cares for you. And so we see that we experience VIP treatment from God after we have been inflicted with pain and suffering from Satan. God himself comes and helps us and restores us and makes us perfect again, makes us whole again, mends us and even strengthen us, strengthens us so that we're stronger than what we were beforehand. He restores us. And this is the idea that is throughout Scripture, that God gives strength to his people again and again. One of my favourites is in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Turn with me, page 715. If you want to memorize a chapter of the Bible, Isaiah 40 is an excellent chapter to consider. Isaiah 40, page 715. But I just want to look at verses 27 through to verse 31 for this idea of restoration from God. Page 715, Isaiah 40, verse 27, where we see the words, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? See that complaint that comes through that? What God doesn't listen to me. And then he says, why are you saying that? Verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He's a strong God. But how is that helpful to you? Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. God indeed, all through scripture, tells us again and again that we do suffer pain. We do get hurt. We do get persecuted. But that's not the end of the story. No, he restores us. He renews our strength. We can soar like eagles again. But the question then you might say, well, how can I know that he will do that for me? After all, if you recognize your own sinfulness, you may think, well, God's not going to do that for me. He may do it for other people, but he's not going to restore me. He's not going to make me strong. He's not going to make me firm. He's not going to make me steadfast. I'm experiencing immense pain. I'm experiencing immense suffering. How am I going to get through this? God's not going to help me. And you may have doubts about God's goodness towards you and even his power that he will be able to restore you. So the question is, how do you know then that God will do that for you, particularly if you recognize that you're a sinful creature? And that's given to us in the verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Flip back if you're still in Isaiah, but back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, page 1203 of the Black Church Bibles. And we see there evidence that God will indeed do it for us. And that brings me to my second main point this morning. God will restore you because God is gracious. God is the God of grace. We see that in verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God is a God of grace. What is grace? Grace is undeserved merit. If someone is gracious to you, it's not because you are such a wonderful person that they're being gracious to you. You don't deserve their grace. You don't deserve their help. But they, in their graciousness towards you, help you. They benefit you. And this is wonderful for us to know. If we need restoration, if we need help from God, then it's got to be by his grace. Because we recognize how sinful we are and we don't deserve God to restore us. We don't deserve God's strengthening. We don't deserve God to make us steadfast and firm again. But God is a God of grace. And not just grace in itself. What does he say there? He actually has the word all. Verse 10, and God and the God of all grace. How gracious is God? Any grace that you know is from God. The grace that you experience from other people. That's because God is graciously working in them to show you grace. The fact that you're in this creation, this wonderful creation that we live in, it's God's grace. The fact that you're in Australia, in a country that is greatly blessed, why are you here? God's grace. Grace, grace, grace. All the grace that you see around you. Who is it from? The God of all grace. All grace stems from him. You may think, oh, but has he really... Is he really going to show me more grace? Is he really going to restore me? How gracious has God been to me in the past? Well, it's interesting what is given an example of God's graciousness here in verse 10 that encourages us to think that, yes, of course God will show grace in restoring us. What is that example he has given us? In verse 10 it says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ? How gracious is God? God is so gracious that he has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. What does that mean? Well, firstly, God has shown his grace in calling you. What does it mean to be called? 
Well, there's a general call that goes out to all people where they hear about the good news of Jesus Christ and are called upon to repent and believe. But there's another type of calling in the Bible, which is when God calls you to belong to him, and it's always effectual. If God wants you to be a Christian, it happens. He regenerates you as a person. He calls you. When he calls you, he regenerates you. He makes you a new person. He gives you a new birth, a new spirit living in you. And he does that by his grace. You want to know about God's grace? It's the fact that he has called you to himself. And it always happens. A wonderful um, text that speaks about God's calling and how it happens is Romans 8.29 where it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he, that's God, predestined, he also called. And if you're called, what happens then? Those he called, he also justified, made right with God. And those he justified, he also glorified. When God calls you, you change. You become a Christian, and that is a wonderful evidence of God's grace because you can't change yourself. Have you ever tried to change yourself, turn over a new leaf, overcome the sin in your life? You can't do it. You fall again and again. You need God to call you, change you, regenerate you. And if you are a Christian, that is an evidence of God's grace in your own life and helps you understand that he is the God of all grace and he will restore you even if you've suffered from Satan. But what does he call you to? Verse 10, he who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. You want evidence of God's grace? What has he called you to? He hasn't called you to go to hell. He hasn't called you to go somewhere that's bad. He's called you to go to glory. Glory. What's glory? It's an honouring that is given to us and a place, a heavenly place, a heaven itself, paradise. We are called to glory. You want to know that God is gracious? Where has he called you to? He's effectually called you to glory. And not just glory for maybe a short period of time. What does it say there in the text? He has called you to eternal glory. It's not as though you go to heaven for a time. It's kind of like you go on holidays for four weeks of a year, but then you've got to go back to what you had before. No, when God calls you to his glory, it is for all eternity. You want evidence of God's grace? He's called you to glory for eternity. And how has he done it? He's done it in Christ. In verse 10 it says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Do you understand that if you are a Christian, you are in Christ? Ephesians 2 speaks of this. Ephesians 2 verse 4 it says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, Paul is making very clear. You want to know what, how gracious God is? Well, what has he done for you in Christ? He has put you in Christ you are with Christ and you have been raised up in the heavenly realms with Christ to be with God. Do you doubt God's graciousness? Do you doubt what it says there that God is God of all grace? Well, then just reflect on what he has done for you if you're a believer. That he has called you effectually. He has given you, called you to eternal glory and he's done it in Christ. 
It's amazing that he did it in Christ. Because what had to happen? Christ himself had to die for you to be a Christian. Nobody else could die for you. It had to be Christ. And that is God's one and only son. Do you doubt God's goodness? Romans 8.32 speaks about such a doubt. And it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he did not spare his own son, then why would you doubt that he's not going to restore you after you've had a bit of suffering and pain from Satan? If he was willing to give his son to restore you from deadness in sin, which is a much harder task than restoring you from any physical pain that you have, then of course he's going to restore you from any pain that you get from Satan. If he has restored you from being dead to making you alive in Christ, then of course he is going to restore you if you are in pain from Satan. And so if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to make sure that this happens to you, that you can experience God's grace. You are called this morning, a general invitation goes out to all people to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ for you. And I encourage you to do that. If you have not done that, then do it. What are you waiting for? Why have you not turned from your sin and believed in Jesus Christ's death for you so that what is said here in verse 10 can be said of you, that God has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, that you are headed to a heavenly home. And so you know God's grace. You know that God is of all grace because he has given his son to you. I encourage you to do that. And if you are a Christian, then keep holding on to the fact that God is the God of all grace. When you experience persecution, when you experience pain, when you're under satanic attack and he is causing problems in your life, it may be physical pain, it may be mental anguish as Satan is attacking you, remember that the God of all grace will restore you. He will restore you because why? He is the God of all grace and he has done so much for you in Christ. Why will he not restore you after you've been hurt by Satan himself? God is there. We've got to remember we're in a spiritual warfare all the time, but he's like a military doctor that's there on the battlefield with you whilst you're going through the war. And he is healing you. He is restoring you. He's the most incredible doctor in the world. He's the one who can heal you, strengthen you, firm you up, make you steadfast so that you're perfect again. Now then you might say, okay, well, God does that, but how long till he does that? Because I might be going through pain and persecution right now, and it doesn't feel like God's restoring me anytime soon. Well, what does the text say to you? It says in verse 10, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That brings me to my third main point this morning. God will restore you after a little while. You suffer for a little while, then God restores you. We've got to remember that any pain you may be experiencing, any persecution you may be getting from Satan, doesn't go on forever. It's not an eternal persecution, not an eternal suffering that you're experiencing. In fact, your suffering is only for a little while. How long's a little while, though? Well, it could be a little while in your lifetime. It could be a couple of days that Satan attacks you and inflicts quite a lot of pain on you. It could be a couple of weeks. 
could be a couple of months, uh, maybe even longer than that. But we see that often God does restore us after some time in this world. An example of that is Job. Job comes under satanic attack. Job has everything removed from him in his life. Even bodily pain comes to him. Not just his children are killed, not just his wealth is destroyed. Even his friends turn against him and then he experiences bodily pain as well. But what happens at the end of Job? What happens at the end of Job? Job 42, page 531. I love the end of Job. If you're going to read Job and only read part of it, you always read the beginning and the end. Uh, The middle gets you a bit... Getting, uh, you're going round and round in circles with his friends. But Job 42, if you, if you stop halfway through, then that's a problem. You should always jump to the end if you give up on Job. Come to the end, and of course you see God speak to Job, which is important to read as well. But then what happens in page 531 of the Black Church Bibles, page 531, 531, Job 42, verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Friends coming, family coming and being kind to him. And then verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of God's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemina, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapak. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died old and full of years. You see that? He's more prosperous than he was before. He is restored in this lifetime. In his lifetime, he was restored. He experienced satanic attack. He experienced great pain, great persecution. But then people came and consoled him. He increased his wealth. He had more children. God did indeed restore him. God, the God of all grace, showed him grace. So it could be that the little while is only in this world for a time. But it could be that the little while is actually for the rest of your life. It could be that Satan persecutes you and harms you for your entire existence here on earth. But we've got to remember that that really is a little while. It may not seem it at the time, but to experience pain and persecution for 70, 80, maybe 90 years, if you have that kind of length of life, if Satan's persecuting you, it's not likely you probably hit 90. But if you do, that's a little while in the eyes of God and in the eyes of you when you consider eternity. God will restore you. He's guaranteed it. And when does he ultimately do that? He does it when we're resurrected. We're given new bodies. Bodies that have no pain anymore, no suffering. They're better bodies than what you had. Just like Job had a better life than what he had previously. God does that for us. He gives us a better life after the grave. And so after a little while, and yes, it may not seem like a little while, but it is a little while. 
He will do that for you. So no matter how much pain, no matter how much suffering you're going through, you know, you can know that you will be restored after a little while. It doesn't go on for eternity. What goes on for eternity? Living in that resurrection body. Living in a pain-free life in heaven in glory. That's what goes on for eternity. That's what goes on for a long while. A little while is just here on this earth where Satan has sometimes the power to hurt you. So you needn't worry about Satan. You can resist Satan, standing firm in the faith, as we saw last week, remembering that God will look after you. He won't, he won't necessarily prevent harm from coming to you, but he will restore you in a little while. So what should you be your response to this? You should resist Satan, stand firm. But there's something else you should do. If this really happens for you, if that God has done all those things in the past for you, calling you to glory in Christ, and he restores you, what should be your response? Resist Satan, stand firm, but there's something else. That brings me to my fourth main point this morning. God will restore you, so praise God. What do we see Peter do once he's spoken about God restoring people who are undergoing suffering and pain and persecution from Satan? What does he do in verse 11? To him, to God, be the power forever and ever. Amen. He turns into praising God. And that's what we should do as well. We should praise God for his power in restoring us making us strong, firm and steadfast. We should praise God that he has shown that he will restore us by his grace. That he just doesn't say, I will restore you, but you have no real evidence to know that he will do that. But he has shown you that he is the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He's given you evidence of his grace in your life already, so then you can know that he will restore you. And you can... Recognize, uh, you can praise God that your suffering only goes on for a little while and then give him all the power, all the honour, all the glory. Do what it says in verse 11, to him be the power forever and ever. May he have the power because he is the God of all grace. You don't want anybody else to have all the power. You don't even want yourself to have all the power. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if God gave you his omnipotence, that you suddenly had all power? You're not the God of all grace. You would administer it terribly. So who do you want to have all the power? You want God to have all the power. God be the one who restores people. Not you. God be the one who makes people steadfast, firm. Give him the power. And say that by saying what it says there in verse 11. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So do you do that? Do you praise God for these reasons? Do you recognise that when you resist Satan and suffer that God will restore you and do you praise him accordingly? Do you recognise that God will restore you from your suffering because God is the God of all grace and God has called you to eternal glory in Christ and so you praise him? Do you recognise that your suffering is only for a little while before God will restore you? It's not for all of eternity and then do you praise him accordingly? We should be praising God. Because he has done so much in our lives. What Satan loves to do is cloud our brains with thoughts of pain and persecution. But God is the God of all power. And he is the one that deserves all the praise. Because he is the one who after a little while will restore us all like we cannot even imagine. And that's the pain that we've experienced from Satan, distant memory. He will indeed restore us and make us strong 
firm and steadfast. Let us pray to him now. Heavenly Father, we do indeed praise you. You are indeed a marvellous God. Lord, we cannot fathom in your wisdom why Satan exists and why he causes suffering and pain toward us. But we have this marvellous promise in your word that when we experience pain and suffering, it does not go on for eternity. It is only for a little while. And then you restore us, strengthen us, make us firm and make us steadfast again. Lord, we pray that we may hold firm to the faith, knowing that you restore us after our struggle with Satan. And may we give you praise accordingly. Lord, to you be the power forever and ever. Amen.